Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 31 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I have the honor and privilege to be picking the brain of Jay Bear. Jay is a serial entrepreneur who has started not one, but five multi-million dollar businesses from scratch. He is the founder of Convince and Convert, a strategy consulting firm that helps prominent companies gain and keep more customers through the smart intersection of technology, social media, and customer service. He's also an advisor to more than 700 companies, including Caterpillar, Nike, the United Nations, and 32 of the Fortune 500. Jay is the host of the Social Pros podcast, which was named the best marketing podcast of 2015. He is also a New York Times best-selling author of five books and has been named the world's most retweeted person by digital marketers. Jay, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's do some picking. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to tell you, Jay, I am impressed. You definitely have one of the most impressive bios of all the guests I've had on the show so far. That's all lies. Thank you so much. <laughs> the question is, is, were you always this accomplished? What was it like growing up? So I... Um I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I was accomplished, but I was definitely busy. Uh, I, I've always been a person that has a lot of things going on. When I was uh, in high school, I was involved in lots and lots of clubs and organizations and activities and sports and had you know, multiple jobs and uh, you know, have always tried to maximize every hour of, uh, of every day. did the same thing in college, and, uh, and here we are you know, 25 years later, and I, and I do the same kind of thing every day uh, at work and at home. So... I, I get bored real easily, and so I try not to uh, let myself sit idle very often. What, what were your parents like? Were they, were they encouraging? Um, do you think they play a huge part in it? Yeah, it, it was an interesting um, uh, scenario. My dad is a serial entrepreneur as well hmm. and has started several companies, uh, has a, a finance background, and my mom and my stepdad uh, were high school teachers. And so I sort of got both sides of it, right? I kind of got the education side, the teaching side, which is really what I do now. I really teach people, whether it's a blog or a podcast or a book or a speech. So I got that teaching part from them and kind of the business side uh, from my dad. So it, was a, it ended up being a real good, a real good combination uh, accidentally, right? I didn't think about it at right. the time, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What was the, what was the I guess, the first venture um, you started? How old were you? I was, uh, let's see, 11, Whoa. maybe, or 10. Uh, I started a babysitting service with my brother. Uh, we spent, yeah, we started, uh, we, we lived in, in a small college town every summer. Uh, my mom and my stepdad um, went back and got multiple master's degrees, which is sort of what you do as a high school teacher. And so every summer we'd go to Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, they would enroll in Northern Arizona University to get additional courses. And my brother and I would just kind of sit around and run around town and hang out and stuff. And so we started a babysitting service called the Care Bears. Oh, A-E-R. Yeah, it's nice, right? The Care Bears Babysitting yeah. Service. So that was my first, uh, my, my first venture. Very, very cool. That did and not become a million-dollar company. Uh, no, no, I didn't think so. Not. 
But you know, but I, it, it kept I, me in pizza for a whole summer. <laughs> Jay, I know most of the podcasts you go on, um, they ask you about customer service and hugging your haters. So I'm not going to ask you about that. In fact, I think anyone can talk about customer service and how to deal with people who make your life a misery. But what I want to know is how you became the person to talk about it. What makes you the person that everyone invites to speak at events and you know what makes you the expert basically what makes you Jay Bear well I think I've been because I started so early right I, I started in 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 marketing um, with an emphasis in political marketing I was originally a political campaign consultant but I started in marketing when I was 17 uh, and, and I've been doing this now for a really, really long time. And most of the, the work that I do, as you know, as most people know, is, is online, whether it's online customer service, online marketing, et cetera, social media, what have you, content marketing. And I've been um, working actively in the internet since 1993. So so before Google, before Yahoo, before the browser, uh, I, I was doing all these things. And so, so all the all the questions that people have, um, at, at some level, I've already seen those questions. It's just a different... It's just a different era, right? So when people talk about social media, well, some of those dynamics are similar to email. Some of what happens in email is similar to what happened in search, and somewhat similar to search happened in banner ads. And so it, 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 it's kind of the same movie that tends to repeat. And so one of the reasons I wrote the book, Hug Your Haters, about customer service is that what I discovered in my consulting business is that customer service is being disrupted uh, in the same ways and really for the same reasons that marketing has been disrupted. But we talk about marketing disruption all the time. I mean, there's so many events and podcasts and books. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of books about marketing disruption, including four written by me. Right. But there's very comparatively little conversation about customer service disruption. And I'm like, geez, you know, we're kind of missing the boat here. Uh, I think it's actually more important to keep your customers than to get new customers. Uh, and, and customer service is un under-discussed, especially given how much it's changed because of technology. And so uh, I sort of combined a ton of research that I did for the book, very specific proprietary research that I conducted for the book, combined that with my, um, with my consulting expertise with, you know, 20-some years uh, in, in online, and that's how we ended up uh, putting the book together and, and over time becoming uh, an expert on customer service and customer experience. Right. I mean, essentially, though, you're, you're pretty much like a content, like, beast, pretty much. So you have so much content out there. Um, what, like, what makes your content so great that you've been awarded the most retweeted person in the world what makes your content so great that you know you have the best selling but you produce the best selling books um you've been named the top marketing podcast of 2015 you know you're invited on 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 many different um, stages as an inspirational marketing speaker what what is it about your content that stands out from all the other noise out there i guess everyone's trying um, to you know yeah i mean there's tons of noise and, and more and more all the time uh, um, I, I think it's two things. One is consistency, right? So, so we publish, I publish, I create on a schedule, right? So, um, I, I don't create content when I feel like it. I create content because it's my day to do it. Um, and and in, you know, greatness is not based on on inspiration. It's based on perspiration. And I've always tried to approach content that way. Some of my content is better than other um, executions of my content, but but if it's due on Monday, it's coming out Monday, um, one way or the other. And so consistency over a long period 
of time tends to create uh, visibility and loyalty and, and those kind of things. So some of it's just doing it a lot. Um, the other piece, though, is that I, I am not trying to necessarily um, invent new ideas and break new ground and, and be this person person that, that people say, geez, I never, ever thought of it that way. I, I really view my role is is I'm a translator. So I take new um, or important business principles, but I translate those principles in a way that everybody can understand them. Uh, and so I very much try to make my work plain spoken, whether it's writing or videos or podcasts. You know, we're not trying to, to talk over people's heads. We're not trying to make things that are exclusively the domain of large businesses. I'm trying to reach as many people as possible who are serious about business and marketing and customer experience. And so understanding your audience and having a consistent voice and explaining things in a way that isn't dumbed down but is accessible to a large number of people uh, really makes a difference. And, and I've been able to do that for, for a long time. I think it helps having a background in journalism where you're really taught to, to write that way. You're taught to create that way. Mm -hmm. My original major in college was journalism. I spent a lot of time a a lot of time as a young man uh, in journalism. In fact, that, that's really where I got my start is, is writing for newspapers. And so you get trained to create content in a way that the largest percentage of people can access it. And I think that really helps because a, a lot of people who are trying to be thought leaders, quote unquote, um, think that the way you become a thought leader is to be very highfalutin and use a lot of big words and, and, yeah. and, and try to make yourself sound smart. And actually, it has the opposite effect. Right. And I think the same with public speaking as well, right? You just, you just say it as it is. Absolutely. Um, and, and one of the things I really do, and one of the reasons I am retweeted a lot, is I've, I've sort of trained myself to, to speak in tweets, especially on stage, right, <laughs> where I can take concepts and break them down into 140 characters um, one at a time. And, and it's, it's a learned skill. It just took me a while to figure it out. And, and now um, people really know me for that kind of speech. Right. I wish my wife spoke in tweets. So probably <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> um, do you produce your own content, or do you have teams of people uh, uh, basically pumping things out? Both. Both. So, so Convince and Convert, which is my company, we have a consulting firm and then a media company. The media company, we produce six weekly podcasts six and weeks. 12 week, six a week, wow. six different shows, um, six a week, and then 12 blog posts a week, So, and then a bunch of other stuff, but, and then one, two, three, four emails a week, um, and then some other things, ebooks and events and things like that. But but our, our regular cadence is six podcasts, 12 blog posts, and four emails every week. Now, of that pool, I personally create, you know, 15%, something like that, right? Um, and then my team creates the rest. Um, you know, we have six podcasts. I'm the host of one but we have five other shows that we produce that my team produces and promotes and edits and all those kind of things. We have different different hosts of those shows. So what's interesting is that is that over time uh, we have gone from you know ten pieces of content a week to twenty five pieces of content a week. Uh, it used to be when we first started doing this company many years ago, I would personally create most of the content. Content, in fact, almost all of it. But what's fascinating to me is that as I create less of the content our traffic goes up. <laughs> Maybe people don't actually want to hear from me. Oh, boy. Maybe they don't care. Um, so the, the less I do, the better we get, I guess, is my lesson, uh, my lesson there. But I, I, my role is more like as a managing editor now, where I, I certainly contribute the same way an editor would to a magazine. Uh, but my, my role is to guide the overall editorial mission for the company to make sure that what we're providing 
providing is first class and informative and useful to our audience, whether that audience is on YouTube or Facebook or a blog or medium or a podcast. And, and what's the ultimate, like you've got six separate podcasts. You're doing one mm -hmm. podcast show um, a week, six different podcasts. Yeah. You said you send about four emails a week. I'm assuming they're not all going to the same list, otherwise you'd be in spam probably. No, they go to the same list because it's a daily email. Oh, really? People read daily? Wow, my goodness. Um, first of all, how do you keep the content so fresh? And second of all, um, how are you, uh, in other words, you've got six different, pod why would you have six separate podcasts and not just have one? Why, why have six? Totally different topics, different topics. So my show is Social Pros, which is all about uh, social media marketing for, for large brands. Mm -hmm. We have a show called Content Pros, which is all about content marketing. We have a show called Influence Pros, which is all about influencer marketing. We have a show called The Business of Story, which is all about using Hollywood storytelling principles in your business. Uh, we have a show called Marketing Marvels, which is a technology reviews show. And we have a Convince and Convert podcast where we take our best performing blog posts of each week. And we have professional voice talent to read those blog posts so the blog becomes a podcast. By the way, Business of Story, that's with Park Howell, no? That's right, yep. So he was my last uh, guest. I saw that on your site. That's fantastic. Park yeah, and I are good friends. We've been friends for a long time, and we are... Uh, delighted to to uh, to produce a bit of the story. That's amazing. So, and, and in terms of, uh, do you, do you feel like it's a bit of an overload for people to get emails every day or to have to trying to listen to a podcast every single day? Do you think there's too much? Do you think it could be too much uh, content? Well, it's certainly easy to determine that because when people get too many emails, then they then they unsubscribe. We have a, a, a format on the email system where you can pick different days. So if you don't want to get it every day, you only want to get it Mondays or Wednesdays or what have you, you can do that. Um, each day is a different topic. So so Mondays is digital marketing, Tuesday is social marketing, Wednesday is content marketing, et cetera. So each day that we send the email is a slightly different topic. So if you're like, look, I don't need to know about social media, I only need to know about content marketing, then you can set your subscriber preferences accordingly. But most people who are on the list get it every day. Right. I mentioned in the in the in the bio in your bio that you uh, started five uh, multi-million dollar companies. Mm -hmm. um, Convince and Convert was also recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing private companies in the USA. Mm -hmm. What are you doing differently that the other eighty percent of failing businesses aren't doing? Well, it helps having run a business for a long time or run businesses for a long time because you you sort of you know try not to make the same mistakes over and over again, but I certainly continue to make um, my, my own fair share of mistakes. Can you certainly. give us some examples um, of mistakes that you've made that you've learned from? Yes. So, um, so as you know, I'm big on podcasting. We just talked about that. One of the projects that I started, let's see, would have been 18 months ago now, something like that, um, two years ago, is a, a website called marketingpodcasts.com. Marketingpodcasts.com is Google for podcasts. Um, and it started because... I was looking to find some podcasts to listen to uh, that I didn't already know about. And so I tried to figure that out using iTunes and some other mechanisms. And as you may know, that's kind of a mess. Like it doesn't really work very well. They just kind of give you the top shows and the categories aren't very good. And it's just podcast discovery pretty much sucks in I general. Uh, and <laughs> and all I could find was a few blog posts where people said, this is my favorite eight marketing podcast. I'm like, well, that's useful, but that's certainly not a directory. Right. So I thought, I cannot believe that this does not exist. And I said, well, screw it. It needs to exist. And so my team and I built a website called Marketing 
podcast.com. It's, it's up right now. It works really well. And it creates um, essentially a search engine for marketing podcasts. And you can search by small business. You can search for social media. You can search for design. You can search for entrepreneurship, etc. Uh, we wrote a very sophisticated custom scoring algorithm that ranks all podcasts on a 1 to 100 point scale based on velocity and number of uh, reviews and the ratings and things like that. It's pretty slick. It's, it's a real, it was a real project. It, it, this wasn't a weekend deal. Um, and I invested quite a bit of money into it. Uh, people loved it. They still love it. We get emails about it all the time. The problem is I was so enthusiastic about solving this problem that I never really thought through, okay, how does this fit into our business? Like how, how how do we how do we raise this baby now that we've birthed this baby, uh, and, and how do we actually monetize this project? And so I never really thought that through. I just was so excited about the idea that we executed on it, um, and so it doesn't really fit into the other things that we do at Convince and Convert. And so it's been kind of an expensive um, an expensive mistake on my part. Like I'm glad we did it. If nothing else, is a public service. But from a business perspective, it wasn't a good decision because I never really thought through all the way to, okay, how do we now make money at this? Because it does take some time and some expense to maintain the site. Um, and I just didn't I just didn't think it all the way through. I got too excited about the idea, so a lesson learned right there. Right, right, very cool. And what, are the, what do you think, um, out, of the, out of the five businesses that you built that was successful, what would you, what would you I guess, attribute um, to your success? What would be the most, uh, the top factors that you would say contributed to the success of those businesses? I think I always, there's a few different things. Um, one is that I value relationships more than money, um, and that's relationships with team members, with clients, with partners, with competitors. Like, you know, I, I, I want... But Jay, did that happen? I want to do right by people more than anything else. Did that happen before you made money, or did that happen after you made money? Before. Really? I think it's how I made money, actually. Really? Um, be, because I don't care about succeeding today. I, I care about succeeding long-term and I care about everybody else that I work with succeeding long-term because I know if they succeed, I will succeed. My philosophy is that if you're successful, I will eventually be successful. I don't need to be successful first. I just need to be successful eventually. So I play a very, very long game. Uh, and in fact, I will tell you of all the things that, that I have done um, in, in my career, the one that I'm most proud of by far, which isn't in the bio because it's just weird to talk about. The thing that I'm most proud of is something like 16 different people now who have worked with me or worked for me have now started their own companies. Um, and so I've sort of accidentally created this whole entrepreneurial wave of people who have, who have worked with me, most of them right out of college and things like that, and have gone on to start their own really successful businesses. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. Um, and, and so I, I've always kind of looked at it, uh, um, for example, like people say, well, who are, your, who are your competitors? Don't you worry about your competitors? And I don't, and I never have in any business I've run. Um, I, I always think that, you know, today's competitors are tomorrow's partners and vice versa. Um, and, and I never or feel like, oh, we lost a project to somebody else, therefore those guys are the enemy. I just think it's a really dangerous and short-sighted way to run your business uh, and also not a good way to run your life. Like, life's too short for that. Wow. So just going to those 16 people, I'm very interested in, in, in hearing about this. Um, at what capacity were they working for you? In other words, what, what kind of um, – were they receptionists? Were they um, – No, usually like, like account coordinators. 
marketers or, or you know, junior or mid-level uh, marketers who are doing some element of, of marketing or digital marketing, and then they either left, either left what, I, what they were doing with me to start their own thing, or they went from working with me to another company and then eventually started their own thing. But didn't you feel like, oh, so they basically took all the things that I taught them, went off, and then just started, you know, a, a competitive uh, company did that not cross your mind? Did it not feel like, oh, I can't believe they went and started yeah. their own thing? Yeah, it feels great because because here's the thing. It, those people now, when they need something done that they can't do, who are they going to call first? They're going to call me. And, and when I need something done that I can't do, I'm going to call them. So all it does is create additional relationships that you can then leverage um, to your own benefit eventually. And And – Look, I don't. I don't look at um, a dollar that they get that I, I don't get as a dollar I've lost. I look at it as a dollar that I've gained eventually. Um, I, I want everybody I work with to be somebody that I know, love, and trust. And the more that you can perpetuate that, and the better off you'll be. But it, but it does take thinking about these kind of things, you know, decades at a time, not not two weeks at a time. Did you, did you learn that that mentality, or was that something that your parents instilled in you as a kid? You know, nobody has ever asked me that question before, and and I don't actually know. Hmm. I, I really don't know. Um, I, I don't. I, I just. I really have no idea. I just. I, I've never not thought that way um, from from the very first time I started in business. When I really got started, I was you know seventeen or eighteen uh, when I had my first. You know, not. I wasn't an entrepreneur at that point, but I had a pretty serious job, a pretty a pretty um, uh, you know a role that had a lot of responsibilities, and and I. I I've just always kind of thought about like, okay, well, why are we worrying about tomorrow? Let's worry about what happens, you know, way down the line. And how do you build relationships that ultimately scaffold up to that? Um, and I don't know. I don't know how, how that came to you be. I wish I did. I, I would bottle it up. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest something and it could be completely wrong. Um, did you grow up in a pretty wealthy upbringing or a pretty stable upbringing? Uh, stable, certainly not wealthy. My parents were teachers, so it, it's certainly not wealthy. I'm saying stable. Like you didn't have to worry about money. Oh no, we. I mean, we had food and all those kind of things right. and clothing. And but I'm saying like your parents never complained about lack. No, of we money weren't. We weren't poor. Certainly. No. Right. So I think that, uh, and again, this is just speculation. But I think a lot of people who have the scarcity mindset, it comes from a place of fear. No, it, I think there's absolutely no question about that. Yep. So there's like this this fear that this person is gonna is gonna step on my toes. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna take away, you know, the, my food from from you know from under me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's 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 it could a lot of it a lot of the times it could be uh, people who have grown up in a home where you know the parents kind of you know vocalize the fact that they can't afford something or there's a fear in the home that they're brought up yeah. with that there's not enough money. Yeah. And so I, I feel like if you're brought up in a house where you know, the parents are very secure um, with the financial, uh, from you know, income and, and what, then I think that as a, as a human being, we just naturally um, learn to, to not be scared and look at the opportunities rather than, you know, who's out to get us. Um, so that could be a factor. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think it absolutely could be. Let me ask you this, because you've, you've done a lot. I mean, you've, I mentioned this in the bio, but um, you've written... Um, five best-selling books, um, you've got a world's top-ranking blog, um, hugely popular podcasts, um, you also entertain many live audiences on stage. Now, of all of your activities that you're doing, 
What would you say has A, helped your brand the most, B, what has produced the most income, and C, what do you enjoy doing the most? Uh, I enjoy speaking the most because right. nobody applauds consultants. Like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're sitting in a conference room and you deliver the great strategic plan, like nobody stands up and applauds, like right. no matter how good it is. Um, so, <laughs> excuse me. Okay. Well, this will be a first time you'll be applauded on the podcast. Ready? Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, very well done. Thank you. Um, I, I really do like speaking the best. I just, I just enjoy it. I've been doing it a long time. And even before I thought you could even make a living at it, um, even back in high school, in secondary school, I was always the you know the master of ceremonies of all the assemblies and talent show and things like that i was always that person with the microphone even as a very young person so i've never been scared of the microphone i've never been scared to speak you know people always say that that you know death and public speaking are the things that most people are most scared of and i just never ever had that like i can't even understand people are like i'm so scared to speak i just don't i don't know how i don't i just don't i've never had that fear so right um, so that I like the best. Um, from an income standpoint, I mean, certainly if you add it up over the, the totality of my career, consulting would definitely be the largest share because I haven't been speaking professionally that long, really only six years, and I've been a consultant a lot longer. Um, in our company today, speaking is about a third of our revenue, not just my own speaking, but many of the other consultants on our team speak as well. So speaking is about a third, consulting is about a third, and then media and sponsorships is about a third. So it's a pretty much of an equal equal split. Mm-hmm. And what about um, what's helped your brand, like your, your personal brand the most out of all of those? Was it the book, the podcast? It, it's, I don't know that there is one. It, it really layers on top of one another. But if you think about it sequentially, and this wouldn't necessarily be true today, but when I started this company, Convince and Convert, in 2008, uh, I started a blog first, and the blog got the blog got popular, which led to the book deal. Book deal led to more speaking, uh, and and so it worked kind of that sequence. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be the way it would work today in some cases, because it's harder to start a blog from scratch now than it's ever been. Not you shouldn't do it, but it's just harder. Right. So for me, I would say the blog was probably the first thing. And I think about if I had to take something away, like if if I just said, okay, I've got to I've got to remove one of these things from what I do, the one that would probably have the biggest negative effect would be if I didn't have the blog. Right. But it's really not a blog now. It's really a digital magazine, right? I mean, right. We, you know, we get millions and millions of visitors a year. Uh, I write, you know, one blog post a week, and so you know, to call it a blog is a little bit, you know, not even accurate. Um, it, you know the digital magazine that, that started off as my personal blog, but certainly is not that now. And for those listening that are starting their businesses, which one of those would you, because obviously you can't, you know, do all of that. I mean, write a book, you know, become a public speaker, have a blog, also a podcast as well. I mean, you've got to start somewhere. So mm-hmm. what, which of those would you recommend someone start with? Well, I would say if I had to start today, I would start with multimedia, um, probably some sort of video or podcast, um, because I think multimedia is is ultimately going to be the future of all of this. But the real answer is that you should start with whatever you like the best. 
because it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy to do this well, especially from the beginning. And so the one that you are most likely to do well is the one that you personally enjoy the most. So, so if you really like podcasting, you should start a podcast. If you really like doing videos, you should do videos. If you really like writing, you should start a blog because the one that you like will be the one that's the best and the one that's the best is going to be the one that propels you forward because ultimately the only way you, th you can, can succeed with content and this kind of thing is if your blog or podcast or video or Instagram account or whatever it is that you're making, mm -hmm. it has to be somebody's favorite example of that in the world. Like the only reason your podcast is successful, Daniel, is that some people think that <laughs> your podcast is indispensable for them. And for them, it's true. It is their favorite podcast in the world. And that's the only reason why it works. For some people, my podcast is their favorite podcast in the world, and that's the only reason I'm still doing it five years later. And, and so you have to think that way as a content creator. What are you going to do? What can you create? What can you offer that for some people is going to be their favorite version of that in the world? Mm -hmm. And the only way you can do that is if you love that format. Right, right. Jay, I want to get really, really practical here because a lot of people listening – um, and I, I always try and put myself in, in the listener's sort of shoes. Like, you know, if I'm listening to this, what would I be thinking right now? What would I want Daniel to ask? Um, I think that a lot of people listening could be, could be getting overwhelmed by your success, right? And so I want you to imagine just one person listening to this. Um, I want you to imagine that he or she is just starting a business, but they don't know where to begin. Um, what would your advice be to them? It depends on the kind of business, but I would say focus on the customer experience and the customer service side of it first. Don't worry about marketing. Don't worry about social media marketing. Don't worry about podcasting or video or content creation until you are great at customer service because you cannot run a successful business if you're losing customers out the back door, even if you're really good at bringing new customers to the front door. So be great at keeping your customers first, then worry about how to get new ones. That sounds counterintuitive because a lot of people starting business are pretty much only thinking about how do I get clients. They're not thinking yeah. about how to take care of the client. The clients aren't even there yet. Why would they even think about that? You know. And that's why they don't last in business very long. Right. So you're saying to start with the customer service before they've yeah. even started. So what you do is, if you're going to start a new company, think about, okay, what can we deliver and how can we operate and, and what can our policies and procedures and circumstances be so that once somebody is a customer, they never want to leave. Start figure yeah. that out first, right? Because then you get a geometric multiplier effect every time you get a new customer. You're not always having to chase new customers and, fill that leaky bucket. You may have heard that metaphor before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, if you have a leaky bucket, you never really get ahead. It's sort of that two steps forward, one step back right. situation. Right. But if you, you can set it up so that customers never want to leave, and, and you'll always lose some. It's just, it's just human nature. But if you can really focus on how can we keep customers from leaving, um, because they, not, not because you make it impossible to do so, that's not my advice, but because they don't want to do so, um, that's a really good place to start thinking through your business strategy. Can you give some practical applications of how to do that? Sure. So, so some of it's communication. Uh, I talked about this a little bit in the new book, um, how 
you know, we, we think that we are communicating enough to our customers, but, but what's enough to us isn't enough to them. There's a, a company in Texas that's a moving company, so they help people relocate. And, you know, a moving business is hard because it's, it, people are anxious, right? You're, you're packing up their stuff and they're changing locations or at least homes and they're nervous about, about that. And, you know, is my stuff going to get broken? And just people are, people are on edge for sure. And so this business, Square Cow Movers is their name, they were getting a lot of negative feedback. Uh, on Yelp and other review sites on their Facebook page, even phone calls and emails. And their owner, very smart man, Wade Lombardi, said, you know, I, I, when I'm looking at the, these complaints, I'm seeing that a lot of times it's not that we did anything wrong. It's not that our guys broke somebody's couch or they showed up late or anything like that. It's that the, the customer was under the impression that something was going to happen differently than it was ever going to happen. It was more of a miscommunication or a misalignment of expectations. Right. And so he sat down and he, he did an audit of all the different times that a customer is communicated with from the day they sign up to the moving service to the day their stuff is delivered and then afterwards. When do we email them? When do we call them? What's the paperwork look like? Um, when do we do the follow-up email? When do we do the text message that we're on the way? All this kind of stuff. Audited all the communication and then doubled it and said, okay, instead of sending one email, we're going to send two. Instead of sending one text message, we're going to send two. Instead of sending one um, uh, receipt, we're going to give, give them the receipt twice. Literally doubled all the communication, and all the negative complaints went away. And, and the lesson there is that over-communication is a myth. Most of the time, when customers leave, it's not because you feel. It's because they feel that you don't care about them, or there was some sort of communication shortcoming. So one of the best ways to think through this is to say, okay, how can we make sure that customers are never under-informed or never confused? Uh, and what feels like communicating too much to you probably feels like communicating just right to them. Hmm. You know what's interesting is I feel that some people in business are actually scared to communicate with their clients. It's like, you know the famous expression, let sleeping dogs lie? Right. So Of course. They're worried. Yeah, they don't want to know the truth because they figure if they yeah. talk to their customers, then the customers are, are, are going are gonna to express some dissatisfaction right. or, or point something out that they don't really want to know. Uh, and that's, that's one of the problems with a lot of business owners is that they know they've got problems, but they choose to ignore them. Uh, and, and that's a dangerous game to play long term. And especially because of like all these online businesses and automation. So, you know, there's like sales funnels. I mean, there's all these terms that are so mm -hmm. inhumane, you know. Oh, yeah, we're going to put them in a funnel and you know <laughs> give them a, a bribe what's it called a bribe that you know the online bribe i mean it's crazy what the way we talk it's it's quite funny you know when you catch yourself doing it it's like these are freaking human beings for crying out loud these are not like yeah. little lemons that we're just throwing well, all of it i mean you think about campaigns and targeting and yeah. all the language that we use yeah all the language that we use um, <laughs> in the in the marketing world especially um, is very uh, dehumanizing right so I feel like we almost get into that, that sort of zone where we kind of treat our clients that way. And then, you know, we blast an email out, you know, and we, right. uh, you know, and then the, and batch invoice. And so everything's automated. So we yeah. don't really want to know about the customer because it's just about, it's just a numbers game. We just get as many we can through the funnel and then we send as many invoices. And, you know, yeah, there's a drop-off rate. That's just how it works. Just throw more through the funnel. Um, so... What do you say to that? Because some people are just like, well, it's a numbers game. You just keep putting more through, and then and that's how you, that's how it works. I mean, you know, eventually you run out of prospects. Is what I would say to that. 
right? That 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 you can do that, but you can't do it forever because uh, eventually you're not going to have any more fresh meat to put in the grinder, <laughs> and and then what are you going to do, right? So so if you if you're thinking about this long term, like look, a lot of people out there, especially who run online businesses, are like look, I'm going to milk this cow for a year, and then I'm going to go buy a different and I go buy a different cow, right? And and if you want to churn and burn and treat people shabbily because uh, you don't care and they're not going to be customers for a year, you know, longer than a year anyway, like, look, that's not the way I run my business because I got to look at myself in the mirror. But I understand from a business standpoint why that makes sense. But that's not how I roll. Like, I, I want every customer to be a customer for 10 years. They're not, they're not always customers for 10 years. So that's how I think about every customer. Uh, and, and ultimately, if you if you think about that and you build your business around those principles, uh, it will it will it will work um, if you if you really stick to it. You know, I think what's also great about it as well is that then you start to generate a fan club where you know the more you communicate with your with your um, customers, the more that they you know want to to be part of your company and and not just buy your products but talk about your products and share. That's right. You know, share the brand. Um, yeah, I mean, if your customers aren't advocates, then you got a big problem. Well, you know, you say that, but what about like very unsexy products or like things that you wouldn't necessarily like? It's not cool to share about, you know. Do you know well, like even if someone's selling pet food online or some, something yeah. very like blah? Well, I think there's lots of good examples of pet food being effective online, but I would say more like a utility, right? Like right. the electric company. Okay, uh, good example. You know, you're not probably going to go to Facebook and say, "Hey, guess what, guys? Um, I turned on the switch and the lights came on today." Right. Right. You know, like and share. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's no advocacy opportunities there. So, just recently, uh, we had a power outage here at our home, uh, and and right away we got a text message from the phone company or from the electric company, I should say, saying, "Hey, we know the power is out. We're working on it." You know, they're very proactive in communicating about it, um, and then the power came on, you know, within like half an hour or something like that. You know, that, that, and then I actually went on social media and said, hey, you guys won't believe this. I actually got a, a proactive message from an electric company when the power was out, and, mm -hmm. and people were like, wow, that's really amazing. Um, so, so it, you know, just because it's day-to-day -day blah doesn't mean that there's no advocacy potential there. It just sometimes takes a special circumstance to, to trigger it. Right. So, aside from communication, what are the, what are the practical tips would you advise people to um, you know to keep their customers happy well I, I think the, the the biggest piece is to actually listen to customers it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about people not wanting to actually talk to customers because they don't want to hear the truth uh, and, and that's just a really terrible idea um, one of the things that's fascinating about business when you start doing research on this topic is that only 5% of unhappy customers will ever complain in a way that you as a business owner can find it. Only 5% of the people will call or email or write a letter or even say something face-to-face -to, -face to a, a waitress or something in a restaurant. 5%, which means that 95% of the unhappy customers are just unhappy and they never tell you about it, right? They tell their friends maybe, oh, these guys are terrible or whatever, but they never tell you, which means you can't do anything about it nor do you know about it, right? So, so not only do you lose the opportunity to fix it, but you can't actually engage that customer and try to save them. So what you want to do as a business is really encourage feedback, honest feedback in every possible way, right? Whether it's surveys or routine calls to customers 
or any of, there's lots of other mechanisms for doing that, but, but you want to cherish feedback because without feedback from customers, you can't do anything about what's wrong in your business. You're just hoping for the best, which is not a good strategy. Right, right. And I guess it's also impatience. Uh, other than fear, people are impatient. They want a quick, they want to make a quick buck and it, it, you know, this is a long-term play. That's the bottom line here, I think. A lot of times they, they, want, they want to make a quick buck because they want to try and get paid before people realize that they're not really that good at it. Very cool. What was the name of the, the new book that you said is coming out? Uh, my new book, Hug Your Haters. Oh, sorry, that, that's already come out, right? That's the newest book, yep. Hug Your Haters? Yes. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm going to be linking for, for, for the listeners who want to learn more about what you do, Jay. Uh, I'm going to link to all of your books, uh, your podcast, and your website. Um, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? Um, convinceandconvert.com. That's our main site, convinceandconvert.com. All the blog posts, the podcast, the daily email, uh, and uh, that's the best place to go. And you can find me anywhere on the Internet. Just just search Jay Bear, B-A-E-R, and you can uh, find me lots of different places. Whatever channel you prefer, I'll be there. Right. Not like the bear that you hug, but uh, the exactly. B-A-E-R. Jay, this that's has right. been really inspiring and uh, thank you. very, very practical. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.